0: Hello, Post Patreons. Thanks for joining us today. Obviously, myself and Benno are your regular co-hosts on the British Wrestling Experience. And um, yeah, it's been like 20 years since WCW was sold to WWE. And we thought it might be a good time to go back and look at the history of WCW over this side of the pond in UK and Europe. Um, Quite a broad subject, Benno, but lots to delve into. Tours by the company, TV shows, etc, etc.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's got a, a big place in my heart, uh, WCW over the years, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, so yeah, really excited to be here on this uh, this finest of uh, post-wrestling days.
0: Well, it's not just me and you. Um, we've got a very special guest joining us on the line today. for one of the most iconic voices in wrestling. I think fans will really remember his intros, the likes of Sting and Flying Brian to this day. I mean, he was a large part of the WCW tours in Europe in the early 90s the most dangerous announcer in wrestling. It's none other than Mike, Gary Michael Capetta. Gary, are you there?
2: Hello. How are you doing, guys? Doing
0: great. Thanks Very for well. joining us. Um, we, you've had some internet issues at home, and you're joining us from a, a public library today.
2: I am. I am, so I have to keep my voice down a little bit.
0: <laughs> Don't want you getting kicked out. <laughs> yeah, so obviously and, I said at the start... Should... Um, Gary, you were the ring announcer for WCW in the early 90s, and you did venture over to Europe for uh, tours from 91 until 94. And before we get into any sort of specific stories, I just want to tell you your general memories of coming to Europe with
2: WCW. Um, It was exciting when we began. Um, I remember the first time we came in um, to London. They brought us in about four or five days in advance to do publicity. For the tour, and um, the um, the promoter of the tour, I think it was Barry Clayman concerts, who was a huge promoter of rock concerts, and um, we got really first class treatment. They they treated us so well. Um, they I think they thought that's how we always were treated. Um, and when I say when I say that, I mean. Uh, first class accommodations. We had our own cook that traveled in a bus behind the tour buses. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, but it was in December, I remember. So I, I remember the uh, Christmas decorations in, in London. I also celebrated my birthday there, which is in December. Um, it was, it was just really exciting because it was our first time in, uh, for WCW to be in Europe.
0: Yeah, because that was the uh, Raw Power Tour in nineteen ninety one, wasn't it? I mean, sort of one of the uh, earlier names on that tour. Mixing it up with the likes of Sting, you had Giant Haystacks and one Stephen now William Regal. I mean, uh, for all intents and purposes, this landed Regal with a job for WCW, didn't he? On this first tour in nineteen ninety one, just some of your memories of um, a young Regal and uh, meeting him for the first time.
2: Very, very impressed. Um, this was the showcase for him. That got him the job with WCW, Um, and and his role during this tour was to wrestle Giant Haystacks. So it was a David Goliath match. Um, So he, of course, he got you know he 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 got beaten every night, but just the way he conducted himself, the way he handled himself, the way he understood what his role was. uh, I remember him telling me, and, and and you know he was so young, yet telling me how much experience he had. Um he had the the uh the get up and go to to be wrestling in Germany and and in other countries. Um very he was just very impressive and, and that's that's why he got the call to come to the US
1: I was gonna ask as a follow up to that what's a, what's the locker room's reaction to a you know a regal or you mentioned there, uh, Giant Haystacks; those kind of guys who are names in the UK, but you know, probably relatively unknown to, to the US guys. Were they welcomed with open arms? Were they looked at as, as differently, or they were just two more guys in no, the locker
2: room? I, they were well accepted. Yeah, I mean, it was—it's um, just a matter of a promotion putting together a card that's going to draw people. So, if you, if you can have a name like Giant Haystacks on the card, um, more power to you.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you noted obviously, you know, you had these concert promoters. Was it Bravo Productions here in the UK for the ninety-one tour that were uh, promoting the shows over here?
2: I'm sorry, I did not hear that.
0: Was it um, Bravo Promotions that were promoting the uh, shows? For I the remember the ninety-one tour, Barry
2: Clayman concerts, right?
0: Because um, obviously, it was that, that the tour? That was that the tour you also did in the Royal Albert Hall as well?
2: I'm not sure that I heard your question, but each, each time we, we came to London, we were at a different venue. Um, the first time we were there, we were at the Olympia. And I think it was for more than one night. Um, the next time we were in the city, we were at um, Royal Albert Hall. And the third time we were at Wembley Stadium.
0: So move, moving away from 91 and then you came back in, in 1993, didn't you? And you did two tours of uh, of Europe for WCW. And obviously the first, the real event tour in March of 1993, obviously Davy Boy Smith had been brought into the company then and you were very successful packed houses in London, you know, Manchester and Belfast over in Northern Ireland. And um, I think this tour's most remembered for the title switch that they did between Sting and Vader, obviously with Sting winning the title in London and then Vader winning it back in Dublin. I remember this was sort of massive news at the time, you know, as this never happened on shows in, in Europe. Um, I mean, that must have been sort of quite the thing, having a, a title switch on, on a house show in, over here in the UK.
2: Yeah, you know, a fan um, from Dublin just sent me footage of that show in Dublin when uh, the title went back. And uh, it's a it's a fan cam. Um, it probably is on the only footage that's available that has that title change. I'm going to be uh, uploading it to my um, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook accounts this coming week.
0: I'll definitely be interested to see that. And but. Just wanted to go back to Belfast, because I think it's fair to say a lot of tours and shows missed out Northern Ireland, sort of like, especially in the late 80s and early 90s. But um, interesting to see that WCW did a show there with a British Bulldog on top.
2: Yes, Um, we had a little bit of a problem. Um, We were supposed to um, come into town that day, do the show, stay the night and then move on to the next city the next morning. And that afternoon or earlier that day, there was a uh, a car bomb. Um, so there was there was a lot of uh, tension. Um, we came in and we did do the show, but we were advised it'd be best not to stay in the city that night. So as soon as the, the show was over, I mean, we didn't even check into a hotel in Belfast. I think it was uh was it King Jam- King James was the name of the venue? King yeah. James Hall maybe? Um so we came in, we did the show. It was a little people were a little bit nervous just because it was uh of the incident that had happened um close by the venue. And that night we uh got back in the tour buses and uh, I guess they had made arrangements to the next hotel to bring us in um you know one day earlier so that um, we traveled through the night and uh, I, I don't remember which city we were heading to though. that's my oh, biggest yeah. memory
0: oh yeah can, you imagine? I can imagine it was very scary for you guys but um obviously you guys came back didn't you in october of 93 and you did shows in london manchester and cardiff and i think Obviously, this is most famously for the show you guys did in Blackburn. You know the notorious incident between Sid Vicious and Arn Anderson at the at the hotel after the show. You know, both Arn and Sid have had different sides to the story, but we know it involved a fracas involving a pair of scissors and trips to the hospital, and then Sid eventually getting fired from the company. Um, I mean, what are your recollections of uh, of this fight in Blackburn? I know you talked to him quite extensively
2: about it in your book. Um. I think that you have to take the entire situation, which started a couple of days earlier, into account. Um, we were, uh, we had done a, a major television show. It, it was either a pay-per-view or a clash of champions. Um, and then the next morning we flew off to Europe. So, uh, A a show that was of great consequence thrown on um, an airplane flying over wrestling the night that we got there. So there was no down, down day being put in the bus after that show. And then off we go to where the fight happened. So guys were number 1 extra tired number 2 the promoter had uh had liquor on the bus he had you know a big uh beer uh cooler so guys were liquored up before they got to the hotel and the hotel knowing that the wrestlers were coming kept the bar open we we didn't get there until I don't know, 11 o'clock, midnight, it it was late. So they wanted to make uh, a few bucks. So when we got there, most of us went to our rooms just to collapse. And a few guys stayed back and they continued to drink and they, so, so this was the situation when Sid and Arn got into their, their fight and their argument originally, um, down at the bar um orange room was across the hall from mine wow. and i had no idea that there was a problem so i turned off the lights i went to bed and i did hear something going on in the hallway and i just thought oh god don't these guys ever sleep i'm just thinking you know the guys the boys are playing you know they're just they're just playing around and then all of a sudden my wall started to shake and the pictures that were on the wall started to 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 move and now i that i know in hindsight it was you know the guys throwing each other into the wall you know in the middle of their fight and i i went over to the door and i put my hand on the on the uh on the doorknob just to see what was going on and i just thought Now, maybe this isn't such a good idea because this is this is not sounding like fun anymore. So I waited for things to calm down. And then I went into the hall where by that time, too cold Scorpio. And I think it was Vader um, had pulled them apart. Um, But yeah, that was uh, that. uh, Like, I I can't think of much worse that could have happened as far as uh, giving us a black eye on that tour because it had made, you know, headlines all over the UK.
0: Oh yeah, Benno, I distinctly remember um, like the sun and the daily mirror and all the tabloids picked up on that story, didn't they?
1: Oh yeah, it was absolutely everywhere, but somehow the, both of them, you know, escaped any kind of, you know, legal ramifications of it. I mean, if anything, I was going to ask you, Gary, I mean, I think Sid took the brunt of the punishment, at least from a WCW point of view. Uh, What would you put that down to? I think Arn Anderson, obviously had friends in good places, had a longstanding good reputation. Do you think that's the reason more that Sid loses his, his job and uh, Arn Anderson continues on in WCW?
2: Yeah, um, Arn was always, you know, uh, he, he was just uh, like a favoured guy because of who he, who he is, how he works, how um, loyal he is. Mm. Sid didn't have that same kind of feeling from a lot of the guys because everybody knew that Sid was just for Sid. And Arne was more like a company guy. Mm. So, um, and plus, I think that Arne's side of the argument was more was more well held. And it was more popular. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I. It, it was. It was just like really, really um, unfortunate.
0: Did that affect the morale for the rest of the talks? You did a couple of dates after the Blackburn show, didn't you?
2: Yeah, it did. Um, I, I remember when um, we went to uh, to the coast after that. Uh, a bunch of us went out to dinner just to try to like, keep it together, <laughs> just to try to, to keep morale from going any lower than it had. And um, in fact, I have some pictures of of the group of us on the coast um, just posing after we had gone out to dinner, which is something I I ordinarily wouldn't have done. I'm not, I usually traveled alone and not in Europe, but like in the States, I didn't, I didn't socialize just so that I wouldn't be at a place like that bar where the, where the, you know, the argument happened just to avoid those kind of situations. But this was one time that I did, you know, I joined the group because uh, everybody was just down in the dumps.
0: Oh Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, and I don't blame you for not wanting to uh, <laughs> hang out with the boys at the bar after the show. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, it was quite the sight. But um, I mean, one place that we've not talked and obviously WCW toured there extensively is Germany. And. You know, we have not really mentioned that um, yeah. And obviously in 1994, you were embarked on a huge tour of Germany, you know, with you guys doing one town and then sort of immediately driving to the next. I mean, from reading your book, you know, this doesn't seem like the most pleasant of tours. Um, were you, who were you driving around with this time? Were they like, ferrying you around on buses or were you guys having to get cars from town to town in Germany?
2: Yeah, we had two tour buses, the uh, good guys and the bad guys. Good guys were in one bus. That, uh, the heels were in the other bus. Um, the problem with with the German tour was um, we were crisscrossing the country and it, it made absolutely no sense. Like there was no, we, we would be traveling five hours a night and then we'd wind up getting into the city where we were going to be performing that night, maybe in time for breakfast on the day of the show and then to try to sleep after breakfast and the, I remember the breakfast being like really heavy, um, um, at, at the, it was, they were like breakfast buffets at hotels. Um, the, the tour route made absolutely no sense. Um, but that being said, um, touring Europe is one of the highlights for me in working with WCW. Um, you, usually, like when you when you work, I mean, you know, there are cameras there and you don't really think too much of where your performance is going. But it was the first time that I had traveled outside of the States and it really impacted me. It really hit me because you just wouldn't expect people from outside the States to know who you were. I mean, I know that's ridiculous. From the time I was in my early 20s, the stuff that I did for the McMahons was going to Japan. So I mean, it, it wasn't anything new, but the experience of meeting the folks from other cultures and other countries um, that were wrestling fans and that you know that that knew who I was was it was awesome. It was just you know I, I just loved it.
0: Yeah, because obviously on that German tour as well, that was you know it all centered around the tournament for a European Cup. Co- didn't it, which Sting eventually won and then wouldn't see the light of day until they brought it back out again for the German pay per view in, in 2000. But obviously, the most infamous uh, part of that tour was uh, the match between Cactus Jack and Vader that resulted in uh, Mick Foley losing his ear. I mean, uh, weren't you responsible for putting Foley's ear on ice
2: that, that evening? Yes, that's, that is true. That is correct. Now, now, that's another story that needs some background because a lot of people when they when they hear that story they think that it all happened on that one night there's no way that you can sit in here without your mask
1: oh I'm sorry okay we got it cover time has got to be a uh, responsible yeah, good lesson can. for all the listeners
2: I'll, and I'll be more quiet sorry um, Gary getting you in trouble that's okay
0: Yeah, sorry about that Gary <laughs>
2: keep, keep, keep your language clean guys of course so, <laughs>
0: Can you hear me okay?
2: Yep. Yeah, it's we can fun. hear you fine. Absolutely yeah. fine. Um, that, that started months, months before when, um, when Foley would, would work and he'd be slung into the ropes and he'd stick his head in between the top and the center rope. And then he'd hoist himself around. And then the referee would have to pull the ropes apart and he would go through. to to release himself, and he'd fall to the ground. Well, every time that they did that, little by little, his ears would get clipped. So by the time we got to Germany, his ears were half ripped off the side of his head. He was taping his ears to the side of his head. I mean, I I remember him, we were on the road together in the States, and we were... um, we stopped and stayed with my mom for uh, a couple nights. And I remember her cleaning out his ears with uh, some kind of peroxide or, and, you know, he was just squealing because it was, you know, his, his ears were all pussy. Mm -hmm. So by the time we got to, to Germany, his ears were hanging off his head and he was just taping them down. So it didn't all happen in that one night. Um, to make things worse on that night, they didn't have our, we didn't have our regular ring crew with us. Both of our referees for different reasons had been, and personal reasons had been sent back to the states. So they would have known how a ring is supposed to be set up and they would have checked it before the wrestlers started to wrestle. But they had stage crew kind of guys who set the ring up and um i think it was too cold scorpio went out and wrestled the first match and when he um came back he told flair who was in charge that night that the the ropes are are too floppy they have to be tightened up so when the guys went and they tightened the ropes they extra they tightened them extra tight more than they should have been and then when Foley got thrown into the ropes and stuck his head in between the top and and, and center rope and flipped over. Didier Gep from France was the referee who's not, he, he has absolutely no idea what is supposed to happen and what they're doing. And he didn't understand English. We didn't speak French. So there was a communication gap also. So he didn't know to pull the ropes apart so that Foley could release himself, so these extra tight ropes without anyone helping Foley to pull them apart, I mean that's that was really the the final the final straw so that the next time that Foley got in the ring and and he got hit on the side of the head, that's when the ear went but I mean so there, there's a background there there's a history um, it just didn't happen like suddenly one night.
0: Were you responsible for helping, you know, get his ear back to the hospital and things like that then?
2: <laughs> so the so the referee I didn't I didn't know that the ear had come off his head. So I'm sitting and it's pretty much like my nose is 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 about where the mat is. And I just saw the referee like look down and took his two fingers like they were tweezers and and picked something up and comes running over to me and i heard him yell ambulance ambulance well now that i understood and then he (laughs) tossed the ear to me so i i i don't know really what it is you know yet and then i look down and i look up at mick And I see blood streaming down the side of his his face. So I picked up the ear and I put it in my hand and I never leave ringside. But in this case, I knew that in order for there to be any chance to reattach the ear to his head. I Can't believe I'm telling the story in a public library. And there are people probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um. We had to get on ice to get for there to be any chance for it to reattach to his head. Now Flair was in charge that night. He was the agent. So when I get back, the sportzahala was in the was very dark in the back. And every so often there was a a down light. So I go back and Flair meets me and he says, What are you doing back here? Because he knew that I would never leave ringside. I said to him, Rick, I've got Mick's ear in my hand. He can't see it because it's so dark. He said, what? I said, I've got Mick's ear in my hand. He said, are you feeling all right? He said, yeah. I said, so I, I take him by the arm and I, I move him to under one of these down lights. And he looks, and he looks up at me and he looks down and he looks up at me and he looks down and he looks up and he says, shit, that's a human ear. So that's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> so with that, Sting comes out of the dressing room. And he looks down. He says, wow, that's really cool. It's like, cool. Guys, I need to find the doctor. Do you know where the doctor is? So I went into each of the dressing rooms. It was a, a, a round building. Mm-hmm. And finally, in the last dressing room, I think the doctor had Booker T up on a table. He was taping his, his leg or something. And You know, we put it on ice. So now Foley has continued to wrestle the match. And I need to get out there to announce the winner. So I start hustling back toward the ring. Meantime, the match is over. Vader wins. Foley is coming back and we're crossing each other. And he's got his hand on the side of his head where his ear used to be. And he says to me, as he just looks and just like gazes, he was in shock. And he Mm -hmm. said to me, bang, bang, I lost my ear. (laughs) (laughs) And I just kept moving because, you know, we need the show needed to continue. And Mm -hmm. if I wasn't out there, you know, to bring the next match out, to get the next music going, nothing would have happened. So that's the full story from my perspective
0: fantastic that was absolutely brilliant yeah it sounds sounds like quite the night for you there but um i think um just to wrap up before we have any more run-ins from the librarian um
2: (laughs) it sounds like we're talking about aew
0: (laughs) I just wondered any sort of like, you know, your final thoughts or, or memories of your time coming over to Europe in, in the early nineties, because obviously me and, and I'm certainly speak for Benno, I have sort of like great memories of you sort of like, you know, your introductions, watching you on tape and certainly, you know, watching on WCW worldwide, but yeah, just some, some of your sort of like final thoughts and sort of like memories of, of coming over to the UK and Europe.
2: Just that it, it, it was awesome. And I always appreciated the fans and, um um, you know there there was a in germany there was a there was you know a language gap of you know a bit i remember i had learned how to say um hey everybody how are you tonight and you know in german i learned (laughs) and i just the first few times that i did it people booed me And i'm saying why are they booing me like why do they hate me like i haven't even given them a chance to hate me there are plenty of reasons to hate me but i didn't they don't know what they are and so we had ali m was the german announcer so when i would go in the ring i would i would do what i usually do say what i usually say and he would interpret it so after I got booed, like the second or the third time, we were sitting at ringside, and I said, Polly, why are they booing me?" He said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Well, when I asked the question in German, I said they all boo." He said, "They're not booing; they're saying good." I <laughs> said, "Oh, <laughs> it was just—it was just so cool." I mean, the first time we were in London the ring, people who send the, sent the ring open, over forgot to send a ring bell. So it was like an hour and a half before showtime and they sent these the roadies out to find a ring bell. And what did they come back with? And if I was home, I would show it to you because I brought it home with me. But it was a mortar shell. It was like a World War II mortar shell that they had found in some some empty lot that they and it was just like it didn't sound like a bell it like clung, clung clung, but it was it was really cool. I thought it was so cool. I brought it home with me as a as a souvenir. just you know those kind of things. van Johnson he was an old old time actor, really famous in the forties, fifties, maybe into the sixties. and he stayed at one of our hotels and I invited him to the to the wrestling show. It was just. You know, the, the, they just it just keeps on going on and on and on. Just so many different, wonderful memories um, eating at Rules, which is, the you know, the oldest restaurant in London. It's just I don't know. Uh, the beef eaters were wrestling fans and the beef eaters <laughs> brought us to um, um, uh, a gaming hall, like a nightclub, which was which was a lot of fun you know which was interesting because you had to be a member to get in so they did something or other maybe we joined short term or they made it happen so that we were you know a few of us were able to go in it was very different from the gaming halls and the casinos we have here in the states because it was you know much more low-key but it was it was wonderful and i even i even won a few bucks so you know so the beef eaters were cool I'm not even sure who the bee feeders are, but I just know that they wore these cool hats and they were very nice to us and that people (laughs) respected them. So it's like, just so we're on the same side, that's cool.
0: Gary, um, I'm I'm sure I speak to Benno as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for obviously making the huge effort to drive out to your public library. I hope you don't get told off on the the way out, but (laughs) we've listened to stories from you all day, but uh, we've got to... Got to cut this short now, but thank you so much for uh for uh, joining us today, really,
1: really I appreciate, appreciate it. it.
2: Thank you, guys. People,
1: I was gonna say, Gary, people should check out your book, obviously. Uh, hopefully, it's yes. it's if it's in that library, they haven't thrown it away now, and yet you haven't gotten too much trouble <laughs> with uh, the labor base. But uh,
2: yeah, people can uh, they want to chat with me it's, on Twitter, it's Gary Capetta, and on Facebook, it's my initials GMC the number for real, GMC for real. Join us there and some pretty cool stuff. It's a lot of memories I share there.
0: Excellent. Yeah, be sure to follow Gary on Twitter and definitely check out his book. It's a it's a fantastic read. And uh, yeah, we'll let you get off, Gary. But thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Take care.
0: Oh, Benno, that was fantastic. Loved hearing those Foley stories, loved hearing all about, you know, the answered stuff. And, you know, obviously we've read about those stories like for years now and and hearing them from the source himself. That was amazing. And even... Got a uh, little run in from the librarian there.
1: <laughs> there we are, Leaver Bates herself, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, Gary, pro's pro, um, coming in and, uh, and joining us uh, where his uh, home internet wasn't working. He still made the booking, uh, made his way to the local library and, uh, and got on. And absolutely great to see the chat, loving uh, that there. And yeah, anyone, like we said, anyone who loved those stories, yeah, check Gary's Twitter out and obviously yeah, get that book. It's a, it's a fantastic read.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, I wanted to move on and talk about some of the other WCW tours. Obviously, um, Gary had left the company by the time these tours took place, and it's the mm. I think the next one after the ones that he's discussed were, um, I think the Hulkamania tour in the summer of '94, where uh, a young twelve-year-old Martin went to Birmingham to see Hogan v. Flair. <laughs> I think we also had the uh, stunning Steve Austin against Ryan Pillman, Sting v. Regal, and um, the Boss Man. I think he was going as Guardian Angel on the night against Vader, and I mean. Fantastic oh, wow. memories of that show, and I think it's, a, it's the only time I've ever actually seen Steve Austin wrestle live. Um, I mean, was this tour sort of not on the young ben O's radar at the time? I mean, obviously, I know you were watching wrestling and things, but um, mm. were these Hulkamania tours not, not you know, peaking your interest?
1: No, like, as a, I would have been, and it seems crazy now, but I was a WWF ho- um, homer at that point. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, I think, maybe 1994, 1995 when I started getting. Yeah, my local um video shop started getting WCW tapes in. So I might have, you know, started at that point watching like nineteen ninety to nineteen one, ninety-two type shows. Um, you know, getting into WCW a little bit that way. But as far as like current day WCW at the time, it would have been, you know, nineteen ninety-six and the uh, you know, the nitro years before um it really came across my radar. But I, I hear you talk those lineups and I know, you know, young Benno would have uh, killed to be at those shows.
0: It's funny, yeah, because it is most remembered for that Hogan Flair match. But I distinctly remember even being a kid, like, you know, just being wowed by watching sort of like Pillman and Austin because I knew all the history with the Hollywood so blondes cool. and things like that. Yeah, and that was just absolutely brilliant. But um, it's weird, isn't it? Because obviously uh, companies, obviously WWE tour here, you know, doing house shows and things. But, you know, they really concentrate on the UK and Europe when business isn't going the best over in mm. the US, don't they? Because, I mean, obviously WCW became really hot. You know, in the late nineties. Um and when they kind of forgot about the UK and Europe, although we did have a, a quick date in Germany in ninety seven, um I think it was called the WCWB NWO Tour. Um I mean one I, I think it was one of the shows uh that made tape. I think the headliner for that was uh Kevin Nash and Scott Hall against the Giant and Lex Luger. Um I'd never heard of this show until like a few years ago. I managed to get um a on of WCW tapes from some guy, you know, and everyone was moving over to DVDs and the like. And uh, yeah, and pretty decent show actually. Interesting that they literally flew over to Germany in 97 just for a couple of shows and sort of like missed out the UK and that. Is that, is that a show you, you've you had a chance to uh, to watch?
1: Only from, yeah, looking back Um, and you're right, it is crazy to think, you know, they're over there and they're doing, doing stuff in Germany, but they don't stop in the UK, which is a, big market for them at the time um like i say nitro had really taken off on, on tnt which we can we can get into as well um yeah i went back and watched the, a few youtube clips of like their germany shows like the fact that the the fact that they ran Oberhausen at, at centro which is like a place near and dear to my heart as far as going to you know to germany to see wxw is <laughs> crazy to think that yeah you know mm. nash and hall and the lads were we're we're in that arena, um, but yeah, like just seeing the footage as well. You know, rabid crowds, that fantastic. You know, as Gary said, there the German ring announcer who, for some reason, on those shows was when the NWO came out. He do people must have seen the viral clip where you know on the NWO theme music where it'd be like new 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 world order. They didn't have the voice clips, so the German announcers literally doing them all in a German accent. He's like, too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird, but it's rabid and it's massive. And I mean, we know ourselves from seeing. You know, DSF on the uh, on the Sky Planner all those years ago, how big WCW was in Germany. It was never never off that channel. So, yeah, I think Germany was seen as like a, a number two market for them. But, yeah, definitely strange they didn't come to the UK, too.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned DSF over here. And obviously that was a German satellite channel that we managed to get in the UK, wasn't it? And that was our only access to watch uh, WCW pay-per-views. And I think that's what they did with these tours. And like they toured Germany quite extensively. I think there was like a co-promotion with DSF. But yeah, for years, our only access outside of sort of like going out and buying and spending all your spending money on WCW tapes was taping them off a German satellite channel, wasn't it? I
1: know. And I wish I knew at the time, Martin, because like I was watching Nitro on TNT and I'd literally know, like I knew DSF showed a lot of WCW, but I didn't know they were, for some reason, you know, 13-year-old Benno didn't figure out like the the dsf like how they showed the wcw pay-per-views because that was a weird thing at the time wasn't it that we get and we can talk about the tv we get nitro on a delay and then they build these pay-per-views and they were never actually shown in broadcasting in, in at least in an english language on our sky and cable systems They were never shown on an english language channel it was such a hole like you look back now like that to to a young Benno, it's just like oh well, yeah, we just don't get to see them. I have to read about it in WCW magazine four, four four weeks later or or whatever it is. But you look back at that and just think that's typical WCW, isn't it? That's you know you've got this market, you've got this killer TV show, and you're not just doing that echo and that extra mile and keeping everyone up to date. Imagine them doing it now. Imagine any company doing it now in AW or something.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you'd like say, as kids, you were just like, yeah, whatever. These are how we get to watch WCW pay-per-views with German commentary on them. But yeah, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it, that you think, like, how big of a market the UK is. And, you know, WCW, no, they didn't even try to sell them to a satellite channel or anything, or even try and, like, shop it around the network. And no one just seemed to show these pay-per-views, did they?
1: No, no, that's it. Yeah, it's just strange. And it almost felt like, I mean, those, those days, like, TNT showed in our country our version of TNT. It was Turner. It was classic movies, wasn't it? It was the basically Turner Classic Movies channel. So Mm. do we felt like the unwanted kind of. It was almost like someone had done someone a favor and gone. I just show an hour of the wrestling before your you you know your channel properly starts, and then we'll get to the classic movies. It was a really strange arrangement for those first few years. Like that is how how i became a wcw fan it was watching cartoon network on on uk's uh, sky as it was back then and then you get all the cartoon network number and like the logo jumping around and it flip over to the tnt logo like i have great memories of nine o'clock on a friday that happened and being hyped for nitro and then we get a one-hour clip version of nitro like again (laughs) The young Benno, that was the best thing ever. It was different wrestling. It wasn't the WWF. It was something different. And it was, you know, all these guys that I thought had died or disappeared off the planet were actually, were actually on, on Nitro now. But that was the little window that we got um, into WCW. And it's, it's quite interesting, like how big an effect that had, though. You talk to any fan around our age, Martin, and, you know, those years of WCW were just so, so well regarded.
0: But it is funny, sort of like when WCW's business started going on a downswing, we did actually get some WCW on network TV over here in the UK, didn't we? In the early 90s, um, they were on ITV, which is sort of like the second biggest network after the BBC, and, and that sort of dissipated, didn't it? And then sort of in the late 90s, they uh, you know, famously went onto Channel 5, where they um, inserted some interesting captions over the uh, more violent matches, let's say, Benno.
1: <laughs> that's it yeah and that's another thing you know i say people of our age got into wcw through those nitro years and getting to see you know national hall turn up and the nwo form and you know i think that one hour version of nitro that eventually turned into to two hours uh on tnt that we get on a friday um again a few days removed from the from the monday air and and yeah at some point somebody thought it was a good idea to throw them on on channel five on a saturday and i'll be honest, you know. We, as older fans, me and you, Martin, that's all. Well, not for you. Obviously, you were a fan earlier on, but someone like my age, that was that was my gateway into, into WCW, at least as watching it as a current product. You speak to a lot of younger fans who first discovered WCW or even wrestling in general through that 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 that, that program on Channel Five, because at the end of the day, yeah, it was it was free to wear, it was available to all, and it probably wasn't the biggest money spinner for WCW, but it was a great shot window. The unfortunate thing is what they put in that shot window was WCW Saturday Night, which at that point I don't think I have to tell any of our listeners was it was the jobber show. It, it didn't really matter, and to make matters worse, you're right, it was the yeah the the Batman style, Kazam, wow, bang, like graphics Bang, on the screen pow, with, yeah. yep, all of that yeah when whenever there was like a, a relatively like hardcore looking spot like fans of our age will remember you know WWE doing the same thing you know where they they go to the crowd and you have that crowd shot of that one same fan in an austin 316 shirt holding a sign and that was your moment to know there's just been a chair shot um whereas yeah channel five went that step further with the uh the graphics and such but it is quite interesting yeah that despite the the quality of the show at that point compared to, you know, the quality of the show that that we got with, with Nitro and TNT, it still probably created a lot of European WCW fans. And dare I say it, a lot of, you know, European mainstream wrestling fans.
0: Well, obviously, you know, it did create a lot of fans, especially sort of like in the early 2000s because business was like in the toilet domestically so you know 2000 they decided to come back to europe and some infamous for all the wrong reasons uh, house shows and then later in the year they came back for a taping of nitro and thunder i mean benno were you at these house shows live i mean huge crowds for wcw at the time selling out sort of like manchester arena and london and i think they did a wembley arena as well didn't they or uh or the docklands arena as well i mean um just a year away from going out of business, some of your memories of the the house show you went to in, in Manchester—that uh, didn't you have Goldberg and Sting on the ticket?
1: Not on the house show, no. Because this, this, this is WCW in a nutshell, Martin. This is year two thousand WCW. Everyone stateside had given up the ghost on WCW at this point. They well and truly lost the Monday Night War by this point. However, sixteen thousand three hundred and eighteen of us. Still went to this house show in Manchester expecting to see the stars because like I've still got my ticket somewhere. Um I need to put it on my uh my display in my background and it's it's got Kevin Nash on it, it's got Sting on it, it's got like you say, it's got Goldberg on it. And as a kid, my assumption is I'm going to uh, a WCW house show, I'm going to see the big stars. Like I even I think me and my mates even bear in mind, I think I'll be 15 at this time. We drew signs up. You know, we went to the local WH Smith and box them up for a house show that no one was going to see, but we didn't really know what we were in for. This was my first live experience of going to, to a wrestling show. And then we got there. And my God, Martin, like this, this lineup and I was looking, it, 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 it gives me tremors just looking back at it. It's horrific. Yep. It's and uh, We got Norman Smiley, Brian Knobs, The Wall versus David Flair, Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Dave Finley. Dustin Rhodes v. Terry Funk, which sounds good. It wasn't. Booker T. Jeff Jarrett was our star match of the night. And worse than that, the main event. So bear in mind, 14-year-old Benno stood there like, there must be, they're going to bring out some big stars here. It's the main event. This must be where we're finally going to see the big stars. No, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull against the Harris Twins. They (laughs) They even flew out Michael Buffer to tease us even more. So we're oh, in the no. crowd like, well, Michael Buffer's here. There must be big stars coming out. Nope. Big Vito and Johnny the Ball against the Harris Twins. It was the most WCW 2000 house show you could imagine. The blandest house show you could imagine. Oh, It was just like 16,000 people turn up and that's what they gave them. I remember reading
0: about that in Power Slam magazine at the time and I reread it a couple of times and I was like,
1: so how
0: many people did they draw for this show again?
1: 16,000.
0: <laughs> and you're backstage and you're like, that, well, this, this main event will send everyone home happy. Didn't you oh. even have Bret Hart come out and do his usual sort of like, uh, oh, you know, oh, it's great blood. to be back in Europe again.
1: Yeah, we, I mean, saying that yeah, Kevin Nash came out and did like a three second angle where on TV he was in a wheelchair at the time. He just walked out because he didn't care. Of <laughs> um, course he did. And and Paul got a Liz, I think got Liz taken to the back because she was interfering um, in one of the matches. Um yeah, so we, we we did get that, but like we it was, it was it, Brett Hart came out and that was so embarrassing because he came out to kind of do a thing, because he Brett wasn't gonna get booked on this show. He had to convince WWE to fly Brett the Hitman hart out of Europe. So we came out and he did like a speech saying how the European fans have all been very good for him and you know, thank you for your support. And then some dickhead two rose in front of me shouted, Brett screw Brett. And Brett Hardy looked at I the guy, it. looked really sad and just kind of carried on with his promo. And that's my memory, unfortunately, of Brett Harpy in there. So we couldn't even get that one nice thing. It was just, it was an embarrassment. I mean, you but my memory of the show was I interviewed Hacksaw Jim Duggan for Grapple um, a couple of years ago. And we were talking to him about it and he was against Finley from Belfast getting USA chance. Like that's the, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he was dear. the babyface, Finley was the heel. That's the type of show we were running here. No quality control whatsoever, just. Just an embarrassment from start to finish, and yeah, it would uh, it would come back to haunt them um, later in the year. I would say, uh,
0: yeah, because they did come back, didn't they? For actual taping, not just house shows, but actual tapings of Thunder and Nitro, and didn't they do some kind of resurrect Battle Bowl, like do a European version of Battle Bowl? And obviously, these are available on the network. If anyone, you know. um, like self-flagellating and wants uh, to, <laughs> to torture themselves for the afternoon but um oh. yeah did did you go to the live thunder tape in the ad in um it wasn't live sorry they recorded thunder tape in the ad at manchester as well
1: yeah i, I still went like I, I was still willing to give to me still be my money but the thing was i don't have the exact number on the attendance on this one but there were a lot more empty seats and you can see it when you watch thunder um on the network from this date. And there's one reason why it's it's what they gave us, you know, just a, a few short months before. Um, and, you know, this show, to be fair, you know, it's in the midst of like a Russo book, WCW, it's like, it's very Car Crash TV. I know you went back on it and had a little look at the show as well. I did, Martin, to go, go have a trip down memory lane. It did have the stars on it, though, you know. We got a Goldberg swash with uh, with Doug Dillinger second to them uh, backstage, wearing a, a policeman's hat or a Bobby's hat, as uh, as Bobby Heenan described. on, uh, on Anyone commentary. Anyone needs to go
0: back and watch that. It's hilarious. Just it's like Goldberg's funny. face when he comes out and Dillinger's wearing this uh, police Hat for like an old school one from uh, from Britain. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious.
1: It's so great, it is, it is. So that's a nice little touch. And yeah, we got you know, we got stars on there, you know, Booker T Landstorms on that show, but a bit of hardcore action early on with Bam Bam Bigelow, and the crowd's still hot, but it's just a lot quieter because of what you know what what we got before. And you know, I, I watched the show back, I was laughing to myself. The main event Sting and Scott Steiner, which goes about 30 seconds. But on Sting's entrance, he's uh he's getting pelted with a red laser pen, and I've got to sadly admit that is my brother who was sat next to me. Who oh, in the two no. thousands, those red laser pens were the we all thought they were the coolest thing in the world, and he thought he was great because he was shining at Sting almost blind, blind and poor, uh, Steve Borden. Um, but you can't actually see that on the paper, so that's quite uh, quite embarrassing. But that
0: was yeah, they were all the, the way the early two but... thousands, weren't they? Those laser pens, oh, yeah, they were that's... absolutely everywhere. Any concert or like sporting thing you went to, someone had a laser pen on them, didn't they?
1: yeah that's it yeah we were uh, that we, we were those kids and like you say we went to the BH smith we, we marked up our signs again we were in the back row for this one martin so i've got to say if anything my brother's aim was good at least
0: yeah yeah I'll, I'll I'll give him that one but um yeah so i suppose so just to wrap this up i mean um it wasn't the final show they did those um those Nitron and thunder things because they actually uh came back to germany for uh for another show for df dsf rather um it's titled millennium final where they sort of resurrected the european cup that we were talking about with gary earlier from that 94 german show and i think rather than it being a tournament this time it was an 18-man battle royal won by mike awesome who was then put in a three-way match with kevin nash and alex Wright, and then nash won and then lost this thing in the main event for the cup i mean it was all very odd really weirdly booked show and uh, then what's interesting about that one is that axel schultz was the referee in the main event he was a famous boxer in Germany around the time. And I mean, there's a few clips around of, of this show uh, knocking around on YouTube and Daily Motion, but um, it's missing from the networks. I'm assuming DSF still own the rights to it, obviously, with the German commentary and it being on their network. But have you had a chance to uh, to watch any of this sort of like car crash of a show, Benno, which which drew 9,000 fans to, uh, to Oberhausen?
1: <laughs> I had a little skip around it and there it is again, Oberhausen, um, WCW's home in Germany, I suppose, uh, yeah, uh, I had a little look at it, but yeah, it's very much, you know, WCW at the time, they got a, they got some stars on there, you know, stinging Kevin Nash's, like, yeah, that's kind of cool, as like your big last uh, WCW in Europe uh, type of match, uh, and, you know, resurrecting the European Cup and you know, giving Germany something, I think that's it. Where we, the UK are very much the, I think, we're the second market for WWE. I think it's probably, you know, looking at these, these numbers over time, um, Germany is very much the... Uh, the second market, as far as it goes for uh, for, for WCW there, and yeah, it's uh, you know a, a fun one to go off. Man, I would I would have killed to be at that show with you know Booker T, Scott Steiner in a in a lengthy match, uh, you know, and like I say the full European Cup there as well. But it is a shame that it's not properly been restored on the network at all. Um, did you manage to see much of it?
0: Yeah, I managed to see sort of like bits and bobs written at the start of it, and they are really putting over that sort of like Axel Schultz is on it because he was like a big name at the time. So it'd be interesting to see if they got any extra pay per view buys from having that big boxer on there. But um, mm. um, just before we wrap up here, Benno, any sort of like everlast- any sort of like last sort of like thoughts and memories about WCW in Europe? I know there's a clip of. Um, Scott Hall that does the uh, rounds on the internet when he was on um, on live and kicking that's like a, a Saturday morning kids show over here and uh, clearly under the influence sort of like, you know, and I don't know how the presenters, you know, quite knew how to take him, did they?
1: No, that's it. He's clearly, I think he's, he's gone on record of saying, you know, it's Scott Hall and, you know, this period of time, he'd been on a nice out the whole night before. Um, and yeah. so I remember <laughs> reading that in Power Slam. speaking of Power Slam, where he'd uh, apparently he'd been out on a on a bender overnight and he'd uh, he still managed to get himself to the live and kick in the studios and uh, and go live there. And he was, to be fair, very, you know, very uh, he was competent. He was answering the questions. He was quite charming. He was flirty with some of the female (laughs) hosts which you know with it being uh scott or you can't you can't think any different but yeah i remember thinking that was cool like we had like a a wcw guy you know at that point on like a mainstream show because to me wcw was was kind of like it just wasn't the mainstream mainstream promotion wf is still the number one but wcw easily could have been you know during this period in the uk easily could have like stepped up stepped up and done what, you know, TNA, TNA did in later years and made Europe very much a home, what AW are probably gonna do in the future and, you know, make Europe a home. And a lot of WCW's history in the UK, I think, and, and Europe in general is, you know, one step forward, two steps back. You know, I've got fond memories of not only Scott Hall on Live and Kick in there, but you remember when Hogan and, and Savage came over and did the, uh, the big breakfast um, at the, at the oh, time yeah, of Nitro's yeah. launch? And it was, but it was very much one side didn't know what the other side was doing because they're doing all this big promotion for WCW and the fact that you can watch it in the UK. And then it was buried at 9 o'clock on, on TNT and, like I say, a, a one-hour edited format and you know it was never like you said we never got the pay-per-views we got these tours but you know on a sporadic basis and as we've talked about you know the lineups weren't you know always up to scratch either and it just yeah it the two the dots are just never ever connected really as to what a great opportunity WCW we still had in europe to take advantage of and be you know okay yeah late 90s early 2000s wwe is very much winning the war at that point WCW could have had a real firm foothold in our parts of the world. And as is the story with WCW, like I say, the way that company was ran and the, the lack of cohesion backstage, it just, it never, never was taken advantage of.
0: Yeah. It does seem to be a massive missed opportunity, especially sort of like in those mid to late nineties times when they, they should have had more of a presence over here, but they never did, you know, I suppose with that domestic business being so hot, you know, perhaps they weren't, they weren't concerned with the UK, but, um, so, um, it's almost time up for us, Benno, and um, obviously, m- m- you know, it's me and you usually on the British Wrestling Experience second Thursday of, of every month, and then obviously, um, you know, you guys have just launched a Patreon for Grapple.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um you know over the uh, the grapple podcast which you can find uh, absolutely uh, anywhere the podcasts are sold we do that every Monday but yeah we've just launched a Patreon where we are doing some retro content you put me in the mood now uh, Martin I want to go back and watch some uh, some retro WCW Uh, we did a it's Wrestlemania season so we've done like a Wrestlemania 8 review and uh, similar to what Braden and Davey have been doing we did a a, a Hidden Gems uh, Wrestlemania uh, podcast with a few uh, undercard matches that really took our fancy in the last week as well so yeah you can check uh, all of that stuff out over at uh, patreon.com slash grapple uh, and you can follow me at benson richard and as i said you can catch me on uh, the british wrestling experience once a month uh where we chat uh, chat british wrestling and tell you what martin gary michael Capetta, we need to get him back on bwe for uh for an episode too i reckon
0: oh definitely we could get him on for a few hours don't they? absolutely brilliant uh guy. chatting to gary and of course always a pleasure chatting to you Beno. but um Without further ado, we're going to be handing to the the next show, the uh, Nubian Wrestling Advocates. It's going to be Marcus, the Professor Chris, Uncle Nate, and, of course, um, the man himself, Andrew Thompson. So uh, have a great show, guys. Thanks, for everyone, for uh, listening, and we'll catch you next time.